All right, Mark chapter 14, verse 6. Would you stand with me as we read God's word together? Again, these are the words of Christ. Every word is powerful. Listen closely. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. I tell you the truth. Wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Let's pray together. Father, these words of Christ are so profound and have such importance to our life. Help us to hear them, to accept them, and to live them today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. This morning's message is entitled, Beautiful, Beautiful. I am holding, I'll get to the picture in just a minute, by the way. I'm holding my first Bible that I ever bought about 1978. I went to the church office and I said to my youth pastor, I want to buy a Bible. Now, until then, as a boy growing up, Bibles were always a gift from mom and dad or aunts and uncles at Christmas. You know, that awful moment you open up your present expecting a toy and it's a Bible. Well, God had been moving in my life and he was preparing me to get ready for ministry. And so I had a, developed a sudden interest in, in having my own Bible. And this is in the 1970s. Every Bible I'd ever owned had been King James. But a new translation came out in the 1970s called the NIV, New International Version. I know it's an old translation today, but back then it was, it was brand new. And so I, I ordered a brand new NIV Bible and this is it. What defines beauty? Last year, the cosmetics industry alone in the United States was a $49 billion industry. Plastic surgery was more than a $28 billion industry in the United States alone. We love beauty. Beauty is very important to us. The irony is that in our secular world, we don't really know what is beautiful. We think we do, but we really don't. What is Beautiful. It begs the question, how do we know what beauty looks like? So here's this picture of the Philippines. And we were, we were standing out on the... This is a terrible picture, by the way. Sorry about that. Something that didn't translate. Uh, but it was, this, this big hand goes out over a cliff and overlooks this just magnificence of God's beauty. It was just stunning and breathtaking. How do we know that's beautiful if we go into the inner city and we see concrete slabs everywhere and everything's dead and dreary? How, how do we know that's ugly? Well, why don't we find that beautiful and that ugly? It's funny that you and I have the ability to discern beauty. Now we have that, beauty, that ability because we're created in the image of God. God has instilled in you and I the capacity, whether we do it or not, the capacity to know what is Beautiful. The sunset, the Colorado Rockies, 
The Grand Canyon, Yosemite, if you've been there, or the redwoods, the majestic redwoods in California, the, the white beaches of the sands of the Philippines, the Austrian Alps, Niagara Falls. God made those things. He made it. A newborn baby. Your bride walking down the aisle on, in her wedding dress on your wedding day. Your kindly grandmother gently holding your hand. What is beautiful to you? Well, I'm only going to show you one other picture or, or two from the Philippines. They, they gave great testimonies. One of the things that I wanted to do while I was in the Philippines, I think I mentioned this to you, I wanted to swim with the whale sharks. Now I'm 59 years old, and I, I've developed a bucket list, apparently, and that was on my bucket list. There are whale sharks. They're the largest fish in the world. They are, they are technically sharks, not whales. Uh, they're not mammals. Uh, but they're the size of a whale. Uh, many of them get that large. And so I got to swim with the whale sharks. <clears throat> and so if you'll show that picture there. Now, this is a bad picture, and that's a little one. That, 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 that thing is huge, by the way. It can eat a hole. Fortunately, whale sharks, sharks eat plankton, so they don't care about uh, red-headed preachers at all. I, I think the, the whiteness of my leg scared him. <laughs> But by the way, we got the flu while we were in the Philippines. Uh, many of us on the trip, uh, Cherry and myself and some of my kids got, uh, and I had full-blown flu. I don't know if it was the bird flu or the swine flu or the Asian flu or the flu flu, but, uh, but I had the flu and I wasn't gonna miss this bucket list day even though I had full-blown flu. Now, if you ever had the flu, the one thing and that I, I forgot about is uh, you can't breathe. And so uh, going underwater, this is just before the drowning. And so, <laughs> Uh, I had trouble breathing, and the, guy, the little Filipino guy with my camera kept going, dive down, dive down. And so this is as, dive, as down as I could get right there for three seconds before I went above the water and gasped for air. Now, there is one more picture, and this is Judah Sandiford. He's uh, 20, 21 years old, young and healthy. He's just diving down like a mermaid. And uh, with uh, one of the whale sharks, and uh, so that was tremendous. And I can't describe this enough to you, what an awe-inspiring scene that is. There were like 20 or 30 of those things that were all around us uh, swimming. Uh, the people were throwing out food for them, and so they were going after the food. And uh, we weren't allowed to touch them. That, that was a rule. You get a big fine if you touch the whale sharks. But the whale sharks were not aware of that rule. And so uh, you can touch them, but they might touch you or just run right over you trying to get to that food. Um, but we just had a great time and they are so beautiful. I mean, they look fake, frankly, uh, but they're not, they're real. And uh, they're just beautiful. Again, how do I know that? How do I know those sharks are beautiful? And so here are just a couple of things I want to say to you this morning. And I intend this to be abbreviated sermon and look out whenever a pastor says that. You're probably going to get it. But it is so really important, even though I'm going to be brief. The first thing you need to know about beauty is that God is beautiful. God is beautiful. And you don't have to take my word for it. You can look at the Bible. The psalmist says in Psalm 27, verse 4, chapter 27, verse 4, he says, One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I see that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Listen to what he says, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Isn't that beautiful? That's just beautiful. Here's the thing. How can an unseen God be beautiful? How can an 
invisible God be beautiful. But that's what David says. And I'm here to tell you, he's right. God is beautiful. He's the very definition of what beauty really is. When I was uh, this age right here in the late 1970s, there was a Christian singer named Keith Green. Now, he later died in a plane wreck, but an amazing, phenomenal talent for God. Loved the Lord with a passion. And so he wrote this song. He actually came to one of his audiences one night at one of his concerts. He said, this week I wrote God a love letter. He said, I I wrote it down and I wrote a song. I made it into a song. It's a very simple letter to God and it's called, Oh Lord, You're Beautiful. Here are the words. Oh Lord, You're beautiful. Your face is all I seek. For when Your eyes are on this child, Your grace abounds to me. Oh Lord, You're beautiful. Your face is all I seek. For when your eyes are on this child, he says again, your grace abounds to me. God is beautiful. Don't let anybody else ever tell you anything else about God. In this culture, they'll say God is racist or God is anti-woman or anti-this or he's outdated. Don't listen to those lies. God is beautiful. Secondly, God sees beautiful or beauty on another scale. God sees beauty on a whole other scale, on another level. And from that, two things. One, God does not see beauty like we do. If you look at Matthew chapter 23, verse 27, Matthew chapter 23, verse 27, this is Jesus confronting the Pharisees, and he says this Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which look, here's the word, beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Jesus says, listen to me. I know beautiful. And everybody himself says, you guys are beautiful. He says to the Pharisees, you're all decked out in your Pharisee outfit. You're all nice and clean. Your hair looks good. You got to own your jewelry. You guys think you're beautiful. He said, but you're like whitewashed tombs. All clean and white on the outside, but I see what's on the inside. And where it matters, you're ugly. You're ugly. Jesus, God, does not see beauty as we do. Now, I've got good news for you today. If you're sitting out there and you're thinking you aren't, you aren't that handsome, and you may be right, or you're not that beautiful, you may think you're too, a little too short and a little too wide and a little too bald or a little too old or a little too this or that, and you may be right. Who am I to say? But God doesn't care about any of that. It's extraordinary how much time, effort, money we spend on something that matters not to God at all. Now, some of you here, somebody in here has the most expensive outfit in the room on. Don't don't look around. And somebody here has the least expensive. Somebody gave it to you a long time ago and it's pretty tattered. Listen, God doesn't care. You don't get any credit for having the best outfit or the worst outfit. God looks right through all of that. He didn't care about your bald head, men, or ladies, I don't know. He didn't care about your weight. 
God cares about what is in your heart. He sees true beauty from the inside out. And I want you to know this. According to God, God says anyone can be beautiful. Now, you're sitting out there thinking, well, I'll never be Tom Cruise or I'll never be a supermodel because you don't have a choice about that. I can't go back 30 years and be young and handsome anymore. Doesn't make any difference. God says, I do have a choice to be beautiful in his eyes. If you look with me in Romans chapter 10, verse 14, this is the apostle Paul speaking to the church in Rome. Romans 10, 14, he says this. How then can they call on the one they've not believed in? Speaking about sharing the gospel here. And how can they believe in the one whom they've not heard? How can they, the lost, hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? Listen to what he says. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Now, I didn't show you my feet in that picture because I don't want to frighten you. I have, a, yeah, I have a lot of pain in my feet. I don't know about you. As I get older, it's just a lot of pain. And so when we're in the Philippines, you can get a foot massage cheap, like six or seven bucks for an hour-long foot massage. So I got a couple of foot massages, but every time I'd go in, I'd apologize before I took my socks off just to prepare them for the whiteness they were about to see. My feet are so white, you can almost see through them. Okay, you can actually see which veins are blue and which ones are red through my feet. They should have me go to anatomy class in the universities just so they, because you can see through my feet. <clears throat> they're, they're just not my best. But listen to what he says. It doesn't say how long your feet are, because mine are long, my toes look like fingers. It doesn't matter. God says how beautiful are the feet of people who bring good news. When you use your feet for the glory of God, they're beautiful to God. So it doesn't matter what your feet look like. I don't care about those moles or those warts. God's not interested in that. He cares about what you do with your feet for his glory. God says anyone can be beautiful. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. See, God sees beauty on another scale. I've seen a lot of babies over the years. But I've never seen a mother tell me that her baby was ugly. Never happened. Don't get me wrong, I've seen some ugly babies. <laughs> I'm a man, I think more objectively. I see the mothers gently holding the child in a blanket, and when I get close enough, I go, ah, what happened? You know, some kids can make bald and toothless work. Some, some not so much. <laughs> but here's the thing. And, I, you know, I want to say, don't worry, God loves ugly babies too. But I don't say that, of course, I may be thinking it, but I don't say that. But I understand that the mothers literally don't see the same baby as me. Because the mothers see a baby through their love. And they're not thinking, well, I love my baby anyway, even though there's ugly sin. They don't think that. They think, my goodness, that's the most beautiful baby I've ever seen in my life. Because God created them in his image. And through love, they literally see differently than anybody else sees. That's how God sees you. In light of all of your imperfections, in light of all of your inadequacies or our inadequacies, God looks at us and he smiles like a loving mother and he says, you are beautiful to me. God sees on a whole new level. Number three, 
God is beautiful. God sees beauty on another scale. And number three, lastly, we have to choose to be beautiful. Beauty is a choice. In Mark chapter 14, verse 6, our passage for this morning, that amazing event, Jesus has gone to the house of a man named Simon the, the leper. Now, I'll tell you, this event happened twice in his ministry. The first time, it happened a few years before while he was up in the northern area of Israel, up near the Capernaum area. And uh, there was a, uh, it says, a worldly woman. She was either an adulteress or a prostitute. She came in and she poured oil on Jesus' feet, if you remember that beautiful story. And they were in a, a, a man's house named Simon the Pharisee. Well, this is a different house. It's now, they're down in Judah in the south near Jerusalem, very near Jerusalem. And this is another Simon's house. It's Simon the leper, somebody that Jesus had cured of leprosy. And while they're in this house, this woman and John, the gospel writer John, actually tells us who the woman is. It's Mary. And we think it was Mary, the sister of Martha. Mary and Martha were the sisters of Lazarus, who Jesus resurrected from the dead. And if you remember what little we know about Mary and Martha, Mary was always at the feet of Jesus. Martha was a worker, if you remember. She was getting dinner ready all the time and doing all She was all stressed out. She actually griped at Jesus, which is amazing when you start griping at Jesus. She griped at Jesus and said, Tell, tell Mary to do something. Tell her to help me. And Jesus said, no, no, no. She's doing what's right. Every time Jesus came in, she was right there at his feet. On this occasion, just shortly before his arrest, Mary anoints his, uh, his head and his feet with oil, an alabaster jar of oil. Now, the Bible tells us in John, he tells us actually what the oil was worth. Can anybody tell me how much the oil was worth? A, it was worth a year's salary, the Bible says. Now, I don't know what you make in a year. Let's say your family income is $50,000. Some of you make more, some of you make less, but let's say $50,000. Imagine taking $50,000, buying one jar of oil, and then pouring it all out. It was shocking to some of the disciples. In, in fact, John tells us the, the, cold, the, the main conspirator was Judas here, but there were other disciples involved, we know, because it's plural, and they objected to her pouring that oil on Jesus because it was so expensive. Here's the thing. This is the last year of his ministry. They've been with him for three years, and whatever their love of Jesus was, it was less than a jar of oil. And so Jesus has to scold them here. He says this in Mark chapter 14, verse 9. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? Which is interesting because they thought she was bothering them. <laughs> he said, why are you bothering her? Listen to what he says. She has done a beautiful thing to me. This is Jesus saying what she did is beautiful. Beautiful. Now, let me stop right there. Do you know how tall Mary was? We have no idea. We don't know how big her nose was, how, big her, how, how, how beautiful her face was and her facial features and her jawline. We don't know what color hair she had. We don't even know her age or anything about her, except she did something for Jesus that he said was beautiful. He says she has done a beautiful thing to me. 
And then he tells them, because there was some pretense about giving the money to the poor, but Judas, of course, didn't care anything about the poor. He wanted that money. And so he objected. And so Jesus explains, the poor you'll always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want. In other words, they're not really helping the poor anyway. They should be. You can do that whenever you like, man. But you will not always have me. And listen to verse 8. This is, these are the words of Jesus. This is his description of her beautiful deed. She did what she could. Not what she couldn't do. She, you see, she had that oil. She had been listening to Jesus as Jesus had told them time and again that he was going to die for the sins of humanity. Soon. The disciples didn't get it. She got it. She figured it out. They didn't have a clue. And Jesus goes ahead and tells them what she's doing. She is preparing me for my burial. She's preparing my body with oil. And that's what they did with expensive oil. They put it on people's bodies. And remember when Jesus was crucified, there was no time. It was the Passover weekend. And so they had to get Jesus off of the cross for the Sabbath as the Sabbath was happening about six o'clock Friday night. So they hurriedly got him off the cross and got him in the tomb very quickly. There was no time to prepare his body for oil, uh, uh, for burial. And by the way, this is Mary, the sister of Martha. There were other Marys that went Sunday morning to prepare his body with spices, thinking he's still dead. This Mary was not one of them. Interestingly, she'd already prepared him, was the only one who ever prepared him for burial. And it was this very scene. And that's what he tells them. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare my burial. Listen to this. Listen to verse 9. I tell you the truth. Wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Now for you naysayers out there that think the Bible is just made up or that Jesus didn't really have any idea what was going on. He says this before his arrest, crucifixion, and resurrection. Long before, years before the gospel will go throughout the world. In fact, here in the 21st century, because of the internet, we have been able to reach countries we've never reached before. We're able to reach people groups that officially hate Christians, and yet they're hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus, here at this scene, already knew. They didn't know anything about the world. For most of them, the world was about 90 miles wide there in Israel from one shore to the other shore. They didn't know. Some of them knew that the Roman Empire, that was the world, but they had no comprehension of what the world really was. All of these nations, all of these countries, all of these people groups, they never seen them or heard of them in their life, but Jesus knew because he created all of them. And here he is saying, in verse 9, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, all over the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Now, there were millions of people living at that time, hundreds of millions. Do you know their names? How many do we remember, in fact, of all the hundreds of millions that people, of people that were living during the time of Christ? How many names do we know? A few hundred? Maybe a thousand? Of course, we don't know them. I can name you 10 people. But there is somebody we do know, someone who's infamous, someone who has 
whose name has been mentioned time and time and time again. In fact, three of the four gospel writers mention this very account. And she's famous because of one thing she did one day. One thing. And Jesus says, because of this, she will always be remembered and honored. That tells me that you and I have the ability, listen to me, we have the ability to do something this week, today, that is so substantial, God will never forget your name. He will always think of you and think that person is beautiful. Doesn't matter what your physical condition is. Doesn't matter what your physical beauty is. Doesn't matter what your bank account says. You can do something that is so famous in God's eyes, he'll never blot it out. This week, you can do something that is beautiful to God. And he'll never forget it. I just find that, don't you find that remarkable? Now, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 3 says this. Speaking to the ladies here, but bear with me. Your beauty, there's the word, your beauty should not come from outward adornment such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. There's that word, beautiful. How do you make yourself beautiful? Well, here he's saying, it ain't makeup. It's not fine jewelry. Even the atheists can do that. that by the way, he's not anti-makeup and anti-jewelry, ladies. Don't take off your, your rings just yet or your makeup. I appreciate that, by the way. That's not what he's saying here. But he is saying that stuff doesn't mean anything to God. God sees something completely different. And he says, it is the inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Now, unless the critics are out there complaining and saying, yeah, this is repressive to women. They're supposed to have a gentle and quiet spirit like they're supposed to shut up. Well, listen, it says the same thing to men. Did you know that? Ephesians chapter two, verse uh, four, verse two, chapter four, verse two says this to men and women, be completely humble. And here's the word gentle, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. These are qualities that all believers can have and should have and that will make you beautiful to God. It was R.C. Buckner, who was a big and bold and a brash man, lived about 100 years ago in Texas. This imposing figure of a man had a very tender heart for children. He started Buckner, Buckner's Children's Homes all across the state. The children affectionately called him Papa Buckner and would run up to him every time he visited. He would always take the time to pick up each and every child and give them a big hug. He loved kids. One day when he was visiting one of the homes and was hugging the children one at a time around him, when he noticed a little girl in the corner who was standing with her face uh, opposite of him and all the rest of the kids toward the wall, he discovered that she had been seriously burned in a fire and had terrible scars on her face, burn marks. He went over to her and asked, Sweetheart, don't you want Papa Buckner to hug you? Without turning around, she said, No, I'm too ugly. Mr. Buckner knelt down. He picked her up in his arms. 
He turned her face gently toward his, looked right into her eyes, and then he did what no one had ever done. He reached over and he kissed her on her burn scars. Never happened before to her. And he said this, Sweetheart, you are beautiful to me, and you're beautiful to God. Listen, I don't care what anybody else says to you. God thinks you're beautiful. He made you. He loves you. But he's not talking about this stuff. He's talking about here. Now go out this week and be beautiful. Pray with me. Father, we thank you so much for this passage and the others. You are beautiful. Your mercy is beautiful. Your love, the fact that you created us, is just a pure act of love. It's just beautiful. The fact that you put up with us and you forgive us and you're so patient with us is beautiful. Your mercy through the blood of Jesus is beautiful. Now, Father, we, we are called by you to choose to be beautiful in return. We spend so much time picking out the right shoes, the right outfit, or combing our hair in just the, the right way, and all these things that mean nothing to you. We need to spend more time on what's inside. That we can go out this week, and in just one act, like this woman, Mary, do something for you that you find beautiful. We can choose that. Thank you. I pray for every man, woman, and child here that they would live the beautiful life to which you called them even now. Help us to relish your beauty. As you're praying, no one's looking around. I want to challenge you to do something this morning. I want to challenge you to pray a very, very short, brief prayer. Just right in your own heart, right where you are, or in a minute you can come and kneel at this stage and, or at the altar and pray this prayer. And the prayer is this, Lord, help me to be beautiful this week. That's the prayer. Lord, help me to be beautiful this week. Will you pray that prayer? It's a very simple prayer, but if you pray it, mean it. God is listening. And he wants you to be beautiful. He wants to make you beautiful. It could be that God has called you or your family to join with this fellowship. You want to come down and say, Pastor, we want to join here. We want to serve here. We want to do things that are beautiful in God's sight here. Or maybe you want to give your life to Jesus. The most beautiful thing you can do to God is to give in to the gospel of Jesus Christ and say, Jesus is my Lord and my Savior from now on. I choose him. Or you just want to come and kneel and pray, Lord, help me to do something beautiful in your eyes this week. Would you stand? Nobody's looking around. All heads are bowed. All eyes are closed. And as you stand and as you pray right now, you come.